Well, good morning. Hey, there you go. Warm weather, right? Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm Pastor Steve. I'm the Associate Pastor of Discipleship here at Grand Rapids Evangelical Free Church. And, I, and I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, we are continuing on in our series. Uh, and so we're in a series called Powerful. And we've been talking about a couple of key aspects about um, a, a relationship with Jesus and the power that he gives us in relationship to him and what that looks like in our life. So I'm excited to be here this morning because in one sense, uh, I get to share probably some of the best parts of this series. And so this morning, I get to share a really powerful message with you that's not mine, but it's God's. Um, and, and so we're going to be talking about the power of the gospel this morning. So before we do that, um, I want to uh, just pray and then we're going to jump in. Father, uh, I thank you that you are a good God, um, that you love us, that you are here with us, that you pursue us. And so, Father, I pray that uh, as we, we enter into this time and just hear from your word, that you would open our hearts to see you more clearly, um, to see the love that you have towards us. Uh, and, Father, that uh, you just, whether wherever we're at this morning, that you would draw us closer to yourself. I just pray this all in your name. Amen. Potassium nitrate, charcoal, and sulfur. When you put these three simple ingredients together, they create a black powder that, when ignited, has the ability to move everything around it with explosive power. Now, you might be familiar with this. I'm not. Uh, I'm actually not a hunter. Uh, but what it is, is this is actually gunpowder. Uh, and and gunpowder, if you look at it, uh, it's something that's very simple. Uh, you know, we put it in shells when we're hunting, yet the power of it is undeniable what it can do. And, and today we're looking at the most powerful news the world has ever heard, the gospel. And it too, it's pretty simple. In fact, we can share the good news of Jesus in just a few short sentences, yet as God opens our hearts to receive it, it's so profound, so potent, so good, and so powerful that it can even bring life out of death. And that's just the beginning. See, God uses that same word in our passage this morning. It's going to talk about the power of the gospel. And that word for power is the same word that we use for dynamite. It is explosive, it is dynamic, it is life-changing and alter everything around it. The power of the gospel. And if that wasn't enough, this isn't our power, but this is the power of God at work. So today, we're going to peek behind the surface, and, and I really do mean peek, It's just a few ways that God uses the power of the gospel to work in and through our lives. So let's, let's dive in this morning. Uh, our, our key text this morning is going to come from Romans 1, 16 and 17. Uh, and in this text, the Apostle Paul is writing to followers of Jesus in Rome. And so we're picking up in his letter in the very beginning as he's sharing with them his purpose, his reason that he's writing them for. And, and so we're actually, we're going to pick up starting in verse 15 and then we're going to continue on through verses 16 and 17. So if you have your Bible with you, or maybe you have a Bible app on your phone, I would encourage you to turn there and follow along, um, and maybe even mark up some things as you read. Uh, and as you can see, it's up on the screen as well. Let me, let me pick up, and remember, this is Paul talking. I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome, I am, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, let me back up here and make sure we don't miss some really important things here. See, Paul is writing, his aim in writing to the Romans is to share the gospel. In fact, if you read the, the letter to the Romans that's in the Bible, the entire th- book from beginning to end is unpacking the good news of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? The power of the gospel. And so he's, he's introducing and saying, this is where we're going, and I am eager to preach this gospel to you. I want you to know it because it is the power of God for salvation and it reveals the righteousness of God. And so he's eager to share this with people in Rome and who, who seriously literally have no idea what even the gospel is. And which means if you're here this morning and, and you're like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I have no idea what this gospel is. Great. We're actually, we're glad that you're here. And in fact, we are excited to share that with you. I am excited to share that with you. But I also have to recognize Paul is also writing to a church who are followers of Jesus already. And they know the gospel and they have a reputation of of faith that reached Paul even before he met these people. He's writing to people he hasn't met yet. And so they have a reputation of faith that that Paul's never, he's never seen it in action. So for us who already have heard and know the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have been changed by God because of it, we too, we need to stay tuned in to what God has to say. And here's why. Because God's power is at work in and through the gospel in all of our lives. This gospel message is for all of us, no matter if this is the very first time you're hearing it this morning, or if you've heard it thousands of times. And the reason why is it's the power of God at work in our lives for those of us who are followers of Jesus, and he's using it to knock on your hearts if you aren't yet. And those of us who know him, it's also the power of God at work in others as we share it. So we need to know it for ourselves, but we also have a power as we share it with other people that comes from God. So, okay, here's the deal. In just a few, in even our little bit of time here, I've used a word nine plus times that I got to acknowledge, you're rarely going to hear it outside of a conversation with Christians. It's this word, gospel, right? So, so the word gospel, as we look at the Bible, it's, it's an old Greek word that simply means good news. So this is good news that we have to share, that the Bible is talking about the good news, And the Bible uses the word gospel over 90 times in the New Testament. And each time it is directly referring to the message of good news that is Jesus himself. It's constantly talking about a person. It's the message of who Jesus is, what he has done, which is the power of God at work in us. And this message reveals to us the goodness and righteousness of God. And it opens us up to see how Jesus saves us. So we think about that. See, the gospel isn't just like a newspaper article or some, some post that you might read online. It, it isn't simply a great story or it's not information that you just have to memorize so that you can pass a test someday. It's the power of God for salvation. 
And if that's true, if the gospel is the power of God for salvation, to be saved means we have to be saved from something. So as we're hearing and sharing this message, it's doing far more than we might think or imagine. This message, this good news, it it doesn't just make us happy or feel good. It actually saves us from death and brings us into life, a life with Jesus. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's the first point. God uses the power of the gospel to bring life out of death. Let's unpack this. And to do that, we're going to jump to the Gospel of John, the good news that John is writing about Jesus. And we're going to pick up in chapter 3. And so we're going to look at this whole bringing life out of death thing. What is that about? So one night, early in in Jesus' ministry, and I would encourage you to turn to John 3 if you can, follow along here. Uh, Early in Jesus' ministry, a man named Nicodemus, and I'll be calling him Nick for short, uh, he seeks Jesus for a one-on-one conversation at night. It's like, I, I, want, I want to take you out for coffee, Jesus. We, want to, I, I need, we need to talk. Now, Nick, he, he's not just any old guy, right? He, he's one of the religious leaders of his day. He's a Pharisee, and he's an important one at that. And, and if you don't know anything about Pharisees, here, here's, here's the deal about Pharisees, right? They're the kind of people who are really good at being really good people. What's more, they work so hard to make sure that they and everybody else are kind of following the rules that that the Bible has. In fact, they even create extra rules to make sure that they're not sinning against God. And so they kind of create these extra rules to kind of be a cushion around what God says is things that are good or not good. So that if they were to like move towards that direction, they'd be breaking their own rule and not God's. So they're, they're really careful to try to say, hey, God, I'm, I'm trying to follow you as best as I possibly can. I'm going to be a really good person. And Nick would have been one of those guys who's working really hard personally to make sure that he's honoring God as best he can. And he would also have been one of those who is teaching others to do the same. But here's the other thing we need to know about Pharisees. They had a lot of different opinions about Jesus. See, some looked at Jesus and were like, you know what, I I think this guy really is from God. But others, and in fact, probably the majority of them, they didn't like him at all. In fact, they they believed, hey, this guy is like deceiving people. He's a liar. He's looking out, he's doing his own thing. He's not representing God. In fact, these miracles he's doing, he's misrepresenting God. And so eventually they say, hey, they go as far as to say they want to kill him. And as we read on the story of Jesus' life, we'll see how that unpacks. Um, and I encourage you to read that some, on your own. Um, so Nick was one of those guys who believed that Jesus really was from God. So kind of, he, he's coming to Jesus at night. Jesus, he, Jesus probably can see he's a Pharisee. And the first thing he does is he kind of like gives his self-identification, his calling card. He's like, hey, Jesus, I want you to know I know you and I believe in you, Jesus. Like, I believe, I believe that you are who you say you are. And so this is what he says. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do the sign, these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, if we were to put ourselves in Nicodemus' shoes, we probably would expect Jesus to say something like this. Bingo, you got it, right on. You nailed it, Nicodemus. 
But, but instead of praising Nicodemus, Jesus' reply drills straight down to a core problem in his life. And it's an issue that he didn't even know he had. Jesus says this in verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He can't be with me. He can't, he can't go to heaven and be with God. Now, if you're following along in your Bibles, there's this note that says something like this. It says, born again, there's like a little letter next to it, and it says it can also be translated born from above. And Jesus intentionally uses a word that means both, and he points to the fact, both of them are together, point to the fact that he is talking about a spiritual issue. But Nicodemus, he hears this, and, and what, he says, what he hears is, I must be physically born again. So he's thinking about, like, he answers and responds back, like, how can somebody be born again when they're old? I, that, that, dear Jesus, that's weird. I don't get that. And so Jesus, seeing Nicodemus's misunderstanding, kind of looks at him in love and spells it out a little bit more clearly in verse 5. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. Those who are born physically are physical. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. There's a spiritual life and a birth that needs to happen. And he says, do not marvel that I say to you, you. And literally we could translate this y'all. Y'all must be born again. Every single one of us. Now, now, what in the world is going on here? Because, like, why is Nicodemus, or why is Jesus being so hard on Nicodemus? I mean, he, he's a Pharisee, but he's not one of the bad guys, right? He, he says he knows who Jesus is, and he wants to be on his team. See, here's the deal. Jesus knows that for Nicodemus to really be on Jesus' team, to really know him, to really know who Jesus is, Nicodemus first has to see a reality in his own life. He had to come to a place where he realized that he had a problem that only God could fix. He had to see that he was spiritually dead. Now, just take a moment and imagine what this news must have been like for him, right? See, if Nicodemus were to put his life on a scale and try to stack up all the good things on one side and all the bad things on the other he would have had an awful lot of good things to put on the good side. As a Jew, he could say, hey, you know what? I was raised in a godly home. You know what? Uh, I, I've known you, God, my whole life. Uh, as, as a Pharisee, he would have memorized and regularly read from and even taught others the Bible. I know the Bible, Jesus. He, he would have had all the right information about God. And, and what's more, he would have been intentional to, to obey and, and follow what he was reading, Right? So if we look at it on the outside, it looks like, especially to Nicodemus, he's very much alive spiritually. And after all, he's doing a lot of good things for God. And if we were to step back, don't we naturally do this too? Like, don't we naturally try to measure the good things and bad things in our life to try to make it just balance out so the good things are just a little bit better than the bad? But in reality, like, if we think about it, it never works. And think about it this way. If this is a life issue, have you ever seen a corpse shock itself back to life? I hope not. Okay, 
Have you ever seen a corpse try to do anything? Of course not. It can't because it's not alive. Yet by trying to do these good and bad things, trying to put our life on a scale, it's like we're a corpse pretending to be alive when we're dead. Or, or what's more, it's, it's like we're a dead person who's trying to make ourselves alive even though we're dead. We're trying to give ourselves life. But here's the reality. And here, I got this up on the screen for you. you, you we can never give ourselves life. We need someone to give it to us. So while we might think we are alive spiritually, Jesus says, you all must be born again, every single one of us. So here's the million dollar, the million dollar questions. What does it mean to be spiritually dead and, and what killed us? Here we go, here's the answers. We are spiritually dead because we are separated from and have rejected God. And this is all of us before we enter into a relationship with Jesus. We sinned against God, and this separation and rejection is because of the power of sin and death at work in our, li at work in our lives. And it didn't start with us. It actually started all the way back in the beginning of the world. It started with Adam and Eve when they bought into the lie that God was withholding something good from them, and that instead of loving and trusting God, they should trust themselves. And as a result, they sinned against God. And this was more, this sinning was more than just an act of taking and eating a fruit that God had told them not to, but it was kind of their declaration of their desire to be independent from God. Like, they, they just wanted to trust and depend on themselves. God, I don't need you. I want to do things on my own. And it was them claiming the right to be autonomous, which means they claimed the right to decide what was good or not good for themselves, what was fair or what was not fair, for themselves, they could do it on their own, instead of having to trust in God and his goodness, that what he says is really in their best interests, that he had their best interests at heart. And so here was the result. Their life ever since then, loving and trusting themselves and rejecting God. Yet the moment they rejected God, they rejected the source of their spiritual life. In other words, they died spiritually and were separated from their relationship with God. And from that moment on, they kept putting themselves first, running from and rejecting God, claiming the right to make the rules up for themselves, and, and breaking God's law whenever it wasn't convenient for them. And here's the reality. Just like they put themselves first in their relationship with God, they also did their, the same thing in their relationships with each other. And all of this became their nature. It was normal for them. It was, it was just who they are. And the reality is, as Adam and Eve's descendants, as humans, that's our nature too. We are spiritually dead in our relationship with God from the moment we are born. So while we might say we've loved God our whole life or been a Christian our whole life, just like with Nicodemus, Jesus would turn to us and say, nope, you were born physically, but spiritually, everyone needs to be born again. If we were to read a little on in Romans, Romans 1, 29 through 32, describes the reality of sinful nature really well. Um, and here's what I want to do. I just want to read this for us. 
Because the hard part is, the reality is, all of us are somewhere on this. It hits every single one of us. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They were backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Sounds like a world we live in, doesn't it? See, because of the sin in our lives, our rejection of God from the depths of our hearts to our actions and our attitudes towards him and others, each one of us stands condemned under God's just law. And the sentence is death and eternal separation from God in hell. Now, let me give you an application here. Until we own the reality that we are spiritually dead without Jesus, we won't ever want to come to the one who is life. Let me say that again. Until we own the reality that we are spiritually dead, we won't ever want to come to the one who is life. And, and I have to be honest, like, this reality is hard. Like, we don't, I don't like this, we don't like this, because before we enter into a relationship with Jesus, it means we have a huge problem that we can't fix on our own. Like, we can live a good life, we, we can be born into a Christian home, we can know all the facts about Jesus and the Bible, and we can still have this problem. Why? Because those things aren't what make us alive spiritually. Instead, the Spirit of God needs to work in our lives, rebirthing us spiritually, drawing and bonding us again into a relationship of mutual love and affection with God. Now, let me, let me remind you something. Let's jump back to the text here. Jesus, as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he's not condemning him. He's not judging him. He's not even upset with him. Like, instead, Jesus is lovingly showing Nicodemus, you know what, you, you've got a problem. You're spiritually dead. And he's pointing it out so that he might come into a relationship with God through his relationship with Jesus. He's looking to give him life. And then Jesus does something that's really pretty incredible. He moves into sharing the gospel. And, and it's because, if we were to go back to Romans 1, our main text, it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. God uses the power of the gospel to bring life out of death. So Jesus is doing it right here with Nicodemus. He's sharing who he is. And so here's Nicodemus, right? The reality is starting to hit home that he must be born again by the Spirit of God. And that everything he'd be depending on for spiritual life and salvation up to that point, it wasn't going to cut it. And so as Jesus is sharing the powerful message of the gospel, the Holy Spirit is knocking on his heart. And it was a heart that knew the Bible, that knew that we're all rightfully under God's judgment for our sin and deserve to die as a rightful punishment separated from God. And it was a heart that was then shown by the Holy Spirit, the gospel, the good news, the person standing right in front of him, Jesus, 
as Jesus is sharing the incredible news about what he came to do and who he is. And he shares it in verse 15. He says that he's going to be lifted up. He's going to be hung on a cross and die in our place for our sins. And the point is, so that we could have eternal life through and with him. Jesus is the gospel. He is our good news. Jesus is our salvation. And so just listen to these next few verses that point to the heart of God at work in all of this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world in order that the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the, of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Jesus has come into the world. And the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. This is us before God opens our heart to see him. So here's the reality. Jesus came for us. See, no matter what we have done, he wanted us. And here is the simple and straight gospel. While we were still sinners, hating God, loving the darkness instead of him, and under penalty of death, Jesus died for us. He took the death on himself that we deserved. And because he was sinless in both God and man, his death on the cross fully paid for all the consequences of our sin, both now and forever. He wipes away our legal debt by paying it himself. And by going through hell so that we didn't need to and rising from the dead, he conquered sin and death. And now Jesus offers the same life to all of us through our relationship with him now and forever. Now, at some point, that should lead us to this question. Like, why? Why would anyone do that? Because even after everything, and here's the reality, even after everything, even though we could never earn it or deserve it, God still loves us and wants to be with us. Here's the next point if you're taking notes and why the gospel is so powerful. The gospel powerfully reveals the depths of the love of God. Again, our main text in Romans 1 reminds us that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. God is just, and so in his righteousness, the consequences of sin had to be dealt with. Like, he, he couldn't just let them slide. They needed, to be, they needed to be taken care of. And God could have let us pay them. He, he could have just not done anything and said, hey, you know what, that's, that's what you deserve. After all, that's, that's, that would be right and fair. Yet, at the very heart of God, over it all, God is love. Perfect, just, righteous love. And the crazy thing is that even though that's who we are, he still loves us. And so when God opens our heart to receive Jesus by faith, giving our love and our trust to him, our lives are changed just as dramatically as when two people are married. Now, some of you probably just wait a minute, wait, what? Track with me here, because this, is, this like floored me the first time I realized this, and the first time I heard this. Picture what happens in the life between a man and a woman when they get married. 
when they get married, everything they have and are are brought together and now owned and shared by both people. The entirety of their life, who they are, everything is shared. But picture this. What if the, one of those people is in immense debt? Like, they're not, they're not getting out of that hole. When the two of them get married, that debt now belongs to both of them. Yet, if the fiancé loves them, the debt's not going to be an issue for the, that will stop them from marrying that other person. Because they love them. Love is the motivation. In fact, they will help pay for the debt themselves. The heartbeat of love here. But understand the reverse is also true. The spouse who is in debt also gets everything that belongs to their spouse as well. The financial resources and more. All of who their partner is, the person that they're married to. And what about this? What if their partner was both willing and able to handle all of that debt? They could take care of everything. Wouldn't that just feed into the love that's already grown between the two of them? There would be nothing holding them back from running to this other person and getting married to them. See, understand, the same is true in our relationship with Jesus. When by faith we give our lives to him, all of who we are, loving and trusting him, it's like we are spiritually unified in love with Jesus, just like a bond between a husband and wife. Everything we have is Jesus, and everything that Jesus is and has is ours. See, we as followers of Jesus can also be called the bride of Christ, and the reality is, before we enter into that relationship with him, we are in debt to sin, death, and ultimately destined to be separated from God forever. It is an immense debt that we can never repay. Yet Jesus is perfectly sinless, righteous. He is life and salvation. So much more so than the debt that we have. And so when all that we have and all that we are is his, because of a marriage-like bond and union with Jesus, we too get all that he is and all that he has. He gets our debt to sin, death, and the pains of hell, which Jesus willingly in love and mercy and righteousness and justice pays. And we get his sinlessness, his righteousness, his life and salvation. And everything is centered on and flows out of our bond of love, our union with Jesus himself. And here's a crazy thing. That's actually just the beginning. Let's go back to that marriage illustration, right? What if the spouse who was in debt isn't just poor, but, but she, like the bride, is actually a prostitute. Like her love is going everywhere else. She doesn't know how to love. She doesn't know how to trust. She's just trying to figure out life on her own. And what if the man isn't just wealthy, but he's actually the king? The moment they marry, the bride has a new identity. Because of her union with her husband, the king, suddenly now she's the queen. Now think about that. That's crazy. Going from the lowest spot to the queen. Her old identity is wiped away. It's put to death. 
And now she, the queen, must learn to grow in loving and trusting and following her husband, the king, and out of love for him, putting to death everything that belonged to her old life and identity. The same is true for us as followers of Jesus. We aren't the prostitute anymore. We are the queen. We aren't just sinners saved by grace. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are the sons and daughters of God, fully loved by God the Father, unified with Jesus, and bonded with him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as followers of Jesus, this is, this is kind of like, it's hard to get our minds around this. But also think about it, that this is how God sees us. He looks, us, looks at us with the same love and affection that the Father looks at Jesus with. The same love and affection. Do you believe that? Like, and why does God see us this way? It's because we are unified and bonded with Jesus. And just, and as followers of Jesus, just like with any marriage that is rooted in love, the benefits aren't the point. The person we're in love with, the person we're getting married to is. I want to share a great quote from a book called Rejoicing in Christ, and it just nails it. The greatest, it should be up on the screen here. The greatest benefit of union with Christ, with Jesus, is Jesus. The marriage is made so we may know and enjoy him. Union with him is the foundation, the beginning. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the beginning. Communion or, or growing love, intimacy, a, a growing bond of mutual love and affection with him is the goal. So let's bring this all together and start applying it. Here's the final point if you're taking notes. The gospel is the powerful message that God uses to draw us to himself. See, here's the truth for all of us. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've run from God, he wants you to know just how much he loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you. Now, you could be here and you might be thinking like, yeah, you don't know what I've done. That's true, I don't. But God does. Or you might, thinking, might be thinking, no one wants me. If people got to know me, the real me, they wouldn't want me around. God knows you, and he wants to be with you. Or, or, or maybe you're at a place where you're mad at God. You think... God is just looking out for himself. He's all about himself. He doesn't care or will never come through for you. God put himself on the cross. Jesus literally went through hell for you because he loves you that much. And while it is true that he may not give you exactly what you want or are mad at him for, know that even though you're angry with him, he never walked away or abandoned you. He's still there, looking to show you just how much he loves you and just how much you can trust him. See, whatever you may be feeling or believing, if you've never surrendered yourself to Jesus, putting your faith and trust in him, know that God is here and he's knocking on the door of your heart through the gospel. If this is you, here's your application. 
If you're in a place where you're ready to enter into a relationship with Jesus, don't leave the building today without talking to someone about how to do so. You can talk with me. Uh, you can talk with one of the elders who's here. You can talk with the people who are in the prayer room just next door in the office. Or if you came with somebody else who has a relationship with Jesus, talk with them. And if you're in a place here this morning where you're like, eh, no, I'm not ready for that. If you want to know more, if you want to know more about Jesus, why he is good news, talk to those same people. We would love to talk with you. But what about those of us who already have a relationship with Jesus? What do we do? How do we apply this? Here, here's, a, here's a first piece. Take time and soak in and remember God's goodness and love towards us. It's so easy to forget and so easy to get distracted by other things. Look to Jesus this week. Get to know him. And as we do, it will lead us to love him and praise him more. We'll want to celebrate his goodness and his love, thanking him in both of our, in our hearts, in our actions, and in our words. And I think about it like this, right? Have you ever met somebody who just started dating or somebody who like just got engaged? Like they have good news to share and then I'm going to stop them from sharing it. Or what about the good news of a husband or a wife who loves their spouse? and they see the goodness of who they're married to. And they just want other people to celebrate with them, like, hey, this is a blessing that I've been given. They've changed my life. My life is being changed because of them. They're good. Understand the depths of that love, and what you're doing is you're inviting somebody else to say, hey, get to know the God that I love who's changed my life. He'll change yours, and it'll be incredible. That's good news to share, right? It's something we, we get to celebrate, we get to sing about, we get to share. And so in a minute, we're actually gonna just, I'm gonna put up a song and, and I just want us to soak in the story of the cross and just remember the goodness of God. And, and I encourage you, you know, you can sing if you want. It's a new song, so don't feel like you have to. Just Soak in the goodness of God. Keep remembering and praising him this week. And then do something else. See, just like with somebody who's newly engaged or sharing the goodness of a relationship with their spouse, we're going to naturally want to share it with others. And as we do, here's a truth we need to remember. Simply sharing the message of who Jesus is and what he has done is powerful in and of itself. It's the power of God. And so as disciples of Jesus, we need to keep remembering the truth of who God is, who Jesus is, what he's done, and what it means for us as we grow deeper in our love relationship with him. And as disciple makers, someone looking to share that with others, it also means we have a wonderful and powerful message that we get to share. It's good news for everyone. And so just like a relationship with Jesus changes our lives, he'll do the same with others. And we can share the good news of Jesus personally, not being afraid or ashamed of how Jesus brought life out of death in our life. 
how he's changed us, what he's brought us from and what he's brought us to in him. And we don't have to be afraid because God wants to do that in others' lives too. Which means if you're a student here, you actually don't have to be afraid to share it at school or even with your friends, maybe or on the bus. Or maybe you just share it naturally and how God has changed you, what he's doing in your life. Or maybe, you know, you're an adult. Sharing it at work, you get to share it at work. Or you can share it with your close friends. And even, and this one's hard, even our families. Sometimes they're the hardest ones. But remember, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This means it's not us who is saving others. It's not our message. It's God's. So this means that when we speak, it's not our ability to use the like right words to perfectly share the gospel. And it's not, you know, those things like, and this happens to me all the time, like, oh, I wish I had said that. Like, that's not what's going to make it or break it. Because in looking at all those things, we're worried about our power. It's not our power. It's God's. Which means if we trust him and we know that God is at work in spite of what we said sometimes and sometimes through what we said, we can trust him. And we can say, just like Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel as we're trusting him to work. And we may never see what God does with that but God is working. So here's a question. Are you willing to let God use his power in and through you as you share the gospel? If you are, here's two steps for you. First, practice sharing what God's done in your life. Share how God's changed you, how he continues to change you as you love and you follow him. And as you practice, practice inviting others to get to know Jesus too as you share the gospel. Invite them to get to know him. And as you grow in your ability to share the gospel, here's the next step. Pray and ask God to give you both the boldness and the opportunity to lovingly share it with somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet. Somebody you know who knows you. And trust that God will be at work in and through you as you share. Let's remember, let's celebrate, let's take a time and just step back and say, okay, God, Let's, this is what you've done for us and this is how you've changed us and thank you. So we're going to put that song up on the screen. I invite you, just reflect and praise God. This is the story of the cross the Father loved us so, so much That when we did our very worst Jesus gave his very best And he died for all of us This is the story of the cross That we were broken, we were lost So then you built a bridge to us Took our hand, led us across Oh, I'll never know the cost 
Jesus into this world. Thank you that you love us so much. That Jesus took the nails to hold us close. Father, there's nothing we can do but say thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. Help us to just remember and celebrate because of the life that we have in and with you. Pray this all in your name. Amen. As you, as you head out this morning, um, two things. One, uh, I encourage you, if, if you have anything, anything that you're looking for prayer for, this, God was stirring you this morning. I encourage you, we have people right next door that can pray with you. Um, come talk with me. We'd love to pray with you and, and just uh, process that as well. Two, um, as you stand up and get to know someone around you, 
I would also invite you, uh, we got a lot of awesome things that God's doing in this church, and so we use this space for many different things. So if you would, before you take off, just stack a couple chairs as you head out. Um, Go with God this week. Remember his goodness. Get to know somebody around you. Thank you.